Hello and welcome to episode 31 of For Art's Sake, an art history and museum podcast. I'm your host, Rhea. So last week, unfortunately, um, there was no episode. If you checked out the Facebook, you would see that um, I had some issues with the audio. I did pre-record, you know, in advance, like I said I was going to do the last couple episodes. Um, and when I finally went to, like, put the little clips together... Um, if you use Anchor, you know what I mean, and then upload or schedule them, um, the audio just wasn't usable, and I'm not sure how to salvage it, um, so I'm just gonna probably leave it. So that's why there was an episode last week, um, and like I said in the previous episodes, I had my anniversary trip. We went to Frederick, Maryland, which is not that far away from our house, um, it was really great and we had a lot of fun. It was really nice. It was nice to have like air conditioning and a king size bed. And then, um, right after we got back, um, we both got our second doses of our vaccines. Um, John, my fiance got the Pfizer and I got Moderna and felt like garbage for a couple days. And then it was mother's day. So <laughs> it feels so long ago, but at the same time, it wasn't obviously. Um, but that, that's just, where we're at. So this podcast today, um, I was kind of excited for it. It's a little, it's not different necessarily. Um, but I typically use like the theme of holidays and stuff like that at major events to kind of guide the topic of the episode. And this time I'm focusing on something that I don't know if, if it's interesting or not. I'm talking about a specific painting. Um, and that painting is one that my mom has been obsessed with. And the reason why I'm talking about it, because uh, it was Mother's Day this past Sunday, and on the coming up Sunday is my mom's birthday. And uh, I just thought it would be interesting to have an episode about her favorite painting. I thought it would make sense. So, um, (laughs) and with this painting, I'm not like going to be critical of it. It's not my favorite. And it's kind of that painting, like kind of in the style. It reminds me of Thomas Kincaid, not the same type of art, but in the same kind of way, if that makes, I think it makes sense once I start to talk about the painting. Um, so obviously I'm going to talk about the history of it, what it looks like and stuff. But then when I was looking up the painting, see if there's anything interesting about it, there's this kind of weird theory of, I don't know if you could call it the theme of the work just the stylization, maybe. Like, there's something about it, and we're going to get into that. But first, let me describe to you what this painting even is. So first, we have four figures who are standing on a beach. Um, and I'm pretty sure it's the beach. Um, we have a very flat landscape that's almost, like, so linear it's abstracted. And we have kind of, like, blotches of paint. So most of the landscape... And most of the background of the painting, the the figures are very much in the foreground here. The background is mostly clouds and it's pretty gray and stormy. There's a little peaking of like light and blue. And then towards the bottom is where you get where the figures are actually standing and you get a little bit of a clue as to where they are. So we have like kind of like this really dark horizon that looks like water because, and really I think that's noticeable because we have little tiny little bits of white that look like waves crashing and then it looks like we're standing on sand and it is very very flat and almost bleak this landscape um 
but the painting itself isn't very bleak. So on the left-hand side, we have what appears to be a maid wearing a more traditional outfit. Um, she's wearing like a black dress that goes uh, below her knees. She's wearing a white apron. Um, she's wearing some sort of little hat. She has little like Mary Jane shoes. Um, she's holding an umbrella and um, she also has a bag at her feet and she's kind of bent forward. Maybe she's like a little bit old or something. Um, but really it's windy. You can tell it's windy because her umbrella is like kind of flying away. She's holding on her hat and her dress is billowing. On the other side, on the right hand side, we have a man who is wearing, he's probably a butler. He's wearing kind of the slacks, the very long jacket with the long tail on the back. Um, he's also holding an umbrella and it looks like a white handkerchief and he has a bowler hat on. We don't really see any of his face. Um, the only skin we really see from him is the hand holding the umbrella. Um, and then finally, almost in the center, a little bit off because it does imply movement, is a couple who are dancing. The woman's back is facing us, the viewer. Um, she's wearing a very long red dress that goes basically to her ankles. It's very form-fitting, and it has a long cut in the back that exposes her back and has spaghetti straps on the shoulders. She's wearing elbow-length red gloves to match, and her hair is up. Um, we can see her ears, um, and she might be wearing a necklace, but she's also um, not wearing shoes. And she is dancing with um, her partner, who is wearing slacks similar to the butler in style with like that kind of stripe he's wearing a long jacket that kind of like goes below his hips um he is wearing shoes it appears um and a button up we see a little bit of his side profile he has short hair we see a little bit of his ears we don't see any tie or anything like that and his arm is wrapped around the woman on the middle of her back and I'm presuming his other hand is holding hers. Her arm is around his upper back. And they're clearly dancing in the middle. And my mom just thinks this painting is so beautiful and so romantic. And for the longest time, I didn't know anything about this painting. It wasn't only, it was only recently that I learned about this painting, right? So this painting is called The Singing Butler, which I think is interesting because by the title, you don't get that. Um, and it is, um, uh, made by a Scottish artist named Jack, named Jack Vetterino. Um, and it was created in 1992 and in 2004, it was sold at auction, making it at the time, the highest paid Scottish painting at auction, um, for any painting ever sold in Scotland, it was sold for... 744,800 pounds. And my mom has multiples of this. And there's a reason why it's kind of like an easy painting to buy. It's um, one of the most best-selling art prints in the United Kingdom. I don't know about internationally how it is. Obviously, my mom has not been in the UK to buy this, like, and you don't have to, but it is a highly reproduced image. Um, my mom, see, this is when I was a child. So we have three, three of these in my parents' home. So the first one was a smaller one that we found at Kirkland's, which if you don't know, was kind of a store for home decor, um, mostly the same kind of styles, but 
Um, you could get some really cute Halloween stuff there and salt and pepper shakers for pretty cheap, like $6. It reminds me of a Cracker Barrel store, but like bigger and with more stuff. So you can kind of get like the farmhouse decor and kind of like a grandma's house decor stuff, um, which is great for Christmas shopping. And one day, and it used to be in the mall, or the mall that we would go to, it's no longer there. So we haven't gone in years and years, even though there is another one in a shopping center um, in our county. But anyway, she found the small one and she loved that painting. And she had already seen it before and she'd always wanted a print of it. So, and this was also already framed. So she got the small one and that one hangs in uh, my parents' bedroom, which unfortunately my mom, because of her disability, does not have access to anymore because she cannot climb the stairs. But um, it was on the wall and my parents' room is like a pea, a very like, like pea green, almost sea foamy color. And it was right above her giant jewelry box that she had and under her kind of like shelf of knickknacks right next to the bathroom that was on her side of the bed. Um, just like a small one. I've, I don't know the exact dimensions, but it was pretty small. And I keep saying it's small because my mom bought a second one, a large one, fairly large. Um, John, how would you, how much, what size are, is our TV? This TV? Yeah, the dimensions. 48 inch? Yeah, 48 inch TV. Okay, so it's basically the size of a 48 inch TV. And this print this reproduction uh, sits in the dining room. It's still there. And the dining room is kind of like a um, almost salmon-y kind of color. Um, and before, long before I moved out, we had a very large wooden dining room table and a large matching um, uh, cabinet for like all the glassware and stuff like that. And my mom's cookie jars. Um, and that was the way they kind of tied the room together. Also with red sheer curtains and like a buffet and um there's a lot of wood furniture and my mom put the room together or kind of around this painting and then my mom also so the third one was an even smaller one but i don't know where that print is i think it is in the attic so because it's not up to my knowledge but my mom being so obsessed with this print when my dad found the larger one which my mom wanted so badly he kind of did that thing where he's like, oh, I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to get it. And then he was like, psych, I got it. And I, as a child, did not like this painting. And I still don't. There's something about it that just I don't like. It has that kind of generic reproduction. Like, I don't want to say, what is the word I'm looking for? It's not pastoral. You know, there's just something I just don't enjoy it. And that's fine. Um, it's definitely not a Thomas Kincaid and not on the same level as that, but there's just something about it. That's just like, mm, all right. The one thing, if I have to choose what I do like about it is the landscape. Um, even though it's very abstract and kind of bland and bleak and flat, um, there's something about it that is kind of pretty at the same time. Mostly that I think the shelf of clouds, right? So, but people clearly love this painting. Um, and it's pretty major in terms of art history, like contemporary art history that this painting, um, what, you know, a record for Scottish painting in auction and it became one of the best selling art prints in the United Kingdom. That's obviously means something that people enjoy this work. Um, so when I was doing my research, like I said, I found this interesting article 
And this um, article is from Vanity Fair. Um, it was posted July 2012. It was written by Amy Fine Collins, and it is titled The Singing Butler Did It. Um, and the little, what is this, a byline? I forget. But anyway, it says Critics say Jack Vetriano paints brainless erotica. But ever since Ventriano's 1992 canvas, The Singing Butler, became Britain's best-selling image, ubiquitous on posters, calendars, and jigsaw puzzles, the 60-year-old former coal miner has been creating an art world of his own. And I thought this was a lot. (laughs) Um, Because when I look at the painting, I don't see eroticism. Um, And I guess that's just something that's said about his work, though there is some critique of this painting. Um, And I think that such a well-known work there isn't a lot of critique and you know art history-ness out there for it which is weird um in my personal opinion i just think that's a little bit strange because obviously there's something about it so i'm going to try and summarize exactly what this article is saying it's kind of weird i think um i don't really know how to describe it there's something i was not expecting this when I was looking up information and um, opinions, if you will, on this painting. So let's get into it. So within this article, there's so many good chunks that I can't just straight up summarize. I have to read them. So um, one of the things that this article and the writer points out is some some of the inconsistencies in the way things are painted. Um, saying like um, painting is slickly illusionistic though in others it is more unevenly executed um which i kind of talked about like the way that the landscape is painted versus how the people it's definitely interesting and like the landscape itself with the very like the wall of clouds would take up the majority of the painting versus the kind of sunspots on the sand which are also wet like it just rained it kind of looks like a maybe like a, a sunstorm or storm moving through but um let me read this part here This is a direct quote. Somehow, the singing butler, a 20-inch by 36-inch canvas painted in 1992 by Jack Vetriano, became to to turn-of-the-century Great Britain something like what Grant Wood's American Gothic was to the United States a generation ago, a ubiquitous archetypal homegrown image onto which every variety of aspiration, emotion, or conviction has been projected. Which is a lot to say because American Gothic is one of the most famous artworks um, internationally recognized. Though we may not know, uh, not everybody knows the exact meaning or, you know, has the um, same interpretation or anything like that, knows anything about the artist. It is a highly recognizable image, and even the title itself, American Gothic, people know about, and it's been parodied, parodied, <laughs> paradise. I don't know the words. Um, quite a lot. Like we know this image, and so to compare something to it is major. It's kind of like saying something's a Mona Lisa of something, right? But American Gothic specifically is something that a lot of people have their own interpretations that they can just kind of project onto regardless of the artist's intention or anything like that. And it's definitely a controversial image that is almost plain in a way on purpose, just the art side itself. So it's really interesting to compare it to that. Um, Another further um, in this paragraph alone, they say that basically 
there have been a lot of feelings towards this particular painting that kind of are surprising. One of them that really stood, or let me just read this. This is a direct quote again. Playwrights have mailed the artist's scripts based on imaginary dramas among the figures. That part didn't really surprise me. This, these two did. Soldiers have written to say that his picture helped get them through the Iraq War. Bereaved families have proclaimed that the painting has consoled them in their grief. The artist even received a letter from a man convinced that he had found in the tail-coated faceless butler the likeness of a long-lost friend. Many experts are baffled by the singing butler's wraparound demographic appeal. Which is also how I feel. <laughs> um, but I know that people, you know, can just love art. You don't have to explain everything. But I definitely, like, these examples blow my mind. Now, my mom, I know, just thinks that it's a really beautiful image. Um, and I wonder if there's a deeper feeling to it. I understand that a lot of people who do look at this painting, I think, especially in a British society, um, still may feel like this sort of nostalgia because there's this very blatant difference between classes. You have the two working class people who literally serve rich people who are just, you know, the two rich people are, I don't know, they got away from a party and they're just, oh, they're so in love and they're just dancing on the beach. Woo -hoo -hoo. And then you have these two people who are like working their butts off, you know, who are probably old, like the way the lady's standing in particular, right? And they're put in their place, you know, where they're holding the umbrellas for these two people to have their good time and the, and I know this is like maybe highly critical but there's definitely a major difference between the sets of the two figures and also with the dress with like the long tail coats and the nice pants and of course the dress I think it really speaks to people who miss that era um, even if they themselves didn't live through that class um I know that there are a lot of older British people that kind of cling on to the whole concept of like the upper classes. And I know, you know, there's the whole thing with the royalty, not just like the queen and the direct, you know, lines, but like they're like people who are royalty who are kind of like lesser royalty, but they're still rich and have nice houses and do all these things. And I know that a lot of British people are into that and feel like that's just the way things are supposed to be. And the reason why I really kind of know that is just in recent examples is the death of Prince Philip. Um, also the um, racism that Meghan Markle has faced. Um, I think that those types of people definitely would be into this painting. So the artist himself said that the reason why he painted the painting as he did is because it's supposed to be one, an uplifting fantasy. And he quite literally just had the center figures. That's the fantasy part. He had the two figures flanking on either side to balance it. And supposedly early on in his career, a woman told him that people love beaches and he was good at painting beaches. So he did. And that's that. But where it gets a little bit weird, um, is the eroticism of his art. So, first of all, the British press called him, at least at the time, the people's painter. 
um, which is interesting. And he is known for painting his own fetishes, <laughs> um, which is interesting. Um, he, like some of the women figures, are tall, beautiful, or as the article says, Ava Gardner style brunettes. He says that blondes have too much sweetness. And he favors earlobes and necks over the standard TNA, which is like crazy to me. Um, I love you just read this. Oh my God. Okay. I've painted maybe three or four breasts in my life. He notes. <laughs> he is morbidly fixated on lips and nails, lacquered a glossy blood red and on eyelashes heavily coated with mascara. I once tried applying it on a girl myself, but my hand was shaking. I got too excited. Stilettos are required. He bid an, at an auction on at auction on a pair of Marilyn Monroe's, as are garters and some form of course corsetry. Oh yes, as his painting devotion and the perfectionist make abundantly clear. He says, "Every woman who knows me knows I will give them underwear for Christmas, and it won't be conventional." <laughs> oh my God! What is this? I, I, I actually don't know what to say. Oh my God. Let me read this. Fortunately for, for collectors, his distinctively autobiographical evocations of feminine sensuality have far more staying power than the one night stands and paid. What is this word? Paid assignations? They often depict. They also come at a far higher price. The auction record for a veterinary set, of course, by the singing butler in 2004 Oh, oh, okay. So, in American dollars, it's over a million dollars, one point three million dollars. Um, the artist has raked in huge sums annually for reproducing his signature work on note cards, calendars, jigsaw puzzles, puzzles, and as everyone in the UK has surely noticed, twelve million posters. What's wild to me is that that artist is like all oh, that whole sentence is just oof. But I don't see that in this painting. I think the most that we may see is um, the way he paints her back with the shadows, like her shoulder blades um, and her dress stepping down and her maybe her bare feet and her wearing gloves. And we have a little bit of an outline of a butt cheek in her dress, like kind of underneath. But other than that, I don't see any eroticism in this work. And I have looked at other work and I definitely see, um, definitely see. <laughs> so of course his later work differs, um, a little bit more, but like you can definitely tell some of those retro fetishes, fet fetishes. Um, I don't know the way that this article worded it though. He's so creepy sounding, right? And in his work, like, women don't necessarily have faces, which just adds to it. Um, not all of his work is like that, but um, a lot of it is. You might get a hint of a face. And some of it's pretty extreme, so I just be careful when looking at some of his work. But he definitely... Um, doesn't always paint that way. So I don't know. Um, what's really interesting is when they do reflect when, especially the artist reflects on 
the popularity of this piece and the mass production of it. Um, he says, at first I took the high ground and said no um, to the publishing company. But then I thought, why shouldn't my paintings be available to the common man for $10? Which is interesting. Um, I mean, he's right. Like, why not? But I think this sort of painting, like, why is it so popular? And it's just really interesting that we have this kind of weird painter guy who has kind of like these erotic paintings and his later work gets a little bit darker and a little sad. And a lot of people, just like kind of with Thomas Kincaid, which I am going to cover Thomas Kincaid one day, it, a lot of people don't consider him an artist for a variety of means, just how he approaches his work, sometimes the inconsistencies in the paintings themselves, just in the painting styles, which is like not bad. I get some of the criticism, but at the same time, like people can use different you know, styles of painting and like approaches, right? A lot of people don't consider him artists because of the mass production, which I don't think is very fair, especially now that we have like Vincent van Gogh. A lot of his work is highly mass produced. Like there's literally two posters at Target right now where I work. I see all the time when I do grocery curbside. Um, like, I don't know. I think it opens up a very interesting conversation, a larger conversation about mass production of art and mass appeal and why are certain works just so appealing? Um, what is it about certain artwork? Is it the mystery? Is it the relatability? Like, is it nostalgia? What is it exactly? So actually, um, I am going to ask my mom, why does she like this painting so much? Why does she have three copies of it in different sizes in the home that I grew up in? Okay, so it's now the next day and I'm home from work. I'm really tired and I have the fan on. But on one of my breaks, I called my mom and I was like, hey, you know that painting in the dining room? She said, yeah. I'm like, hey, uh, why do you like it? And she said, she doesn't really know exactly why, except that it just looks fun. She likes that they're dressed in fancy clothes, but appear to be barefoot. I think the woman's the only one barefoot. And they're just dancing in the sand and having fun. And she really likes the colors. And I like that answer because, you know, sometimes we just like things because they seem pleasant to us and pretty. And I think that's perfectly fine. Um, I don't think this artist is like other artists that come to mind like Damien Hirst, Jeff Koons, and Thomas Kincaid where there's kind of like this nefarious element to their art and art making um, and their art becomes disingenuous because of it which is something uh, one day like I keep saying I'll talk about um, and this type of artwork mass produced, mass appeal I don't think it negates the fact that you know it's art and enjoyable. I just think it's interesting and maybe people just like the colors and like how they feel and what they are reminded of when they look at it and I think that's really just art in general. Like when we look at Vincent van Gogh's work, the colors, the shapes, my cat is knocking stuff down, like what do we see in his work that we find enjoyable? What is the mass appeal? As somebody who's a huge fan of Vincent van Gogh, and the reason why I like art and art history is because of his artwork, specifically sunflower, the sunflowers. 
isn't that really what it just boils down to? It's just enjoying our feelings when we look at our interpretations, when we look at the art and the colors and what the art kind of is, you know, down to the abstraction of it, the lines, the shape, the colors. And that's really it. This has been my mom's favorite painting or one of her favorite paintings. All right, so that's it for this week. I hope you maybe learned something new. Maybe you Googled this artwork and maybe you recognized it, but you didn't know anything about it like I did. Um, and I guess that's the point of the podcast, right? Um, well, I'm going to uh, have birthday time with my mom this weekend. Um, and I don't know what's in the future, except I'm going to come back next week with a new episode. Um and I'm feeling kind of excited about it. I'm, I'm kind of feeling it. So again, you'll hear from me next week. This has been for Art's Sake and Art History and Museum Podcast. And I have been your host, Rhea. I have an Instagram that I forget about. I also have a Facebook where you'll see some updates. And I also have an email for artspodcast at gmail.com. Everywhere else is for Art's Sake. Yeah. All right. Take care. Bye.